This passage from John is in a five-chapter section called the Farewell Discourse. It happens uh, right after the, it happens during the Last Supper of Jesus. It's, it comes right after the foot washing scene and ends with his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. In this, in the Farewell Discourse, Jesus talks about his leaving the disciples, his departing the disciples, uh, but he will not leave them orf- orphaned, he will not leave them abandoned, that the Spirit will come. Um, Jesus says a lot of stuff that, you know, in these four chapters, and you think, what is he talking about? Uh, he, says, he says to the disciples, uh, I'm, I'm going away, but... Um, you know where I'm going, and you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. Have you ever been in a, in a class um, where the professor, teacher, ends the class the, by saying, now, does anybody have any questions? And you think to yourself, I have no clue what this person was talking about. And, but you don't want to look stupid. And so you don't raise your hand and say, I don't, I don't know. Could you repeat that? And, and, you, and you think, well, maybe I'll corner the teacher after class. And finally, somebody says, I don't know what you're talking about. Could you clarify it? And you think, thank God for asking that question. We all want it. That's what Thomas is like. Thomas is the guy that asks the question that is on everybody's mind. Thank you, God, for Thomas. Now, having said that about Thomas, I do want to say that I don't think Thomas is a real man, right? Um, he asks directions. Okay. Yeah. Um, why don't we just end there on that? John, I have trouble with John's gospel, and I have trouble with John's, Jesus' speeches in the gospel of John. I really don't. It's, it's hard for me to read these long speeches without my eyes glazing over and my mind starting to wonder. I I tried to break it up by having the King Avenue players do a dramatic reading of it, but my guess is your mind kind of wondered and your eyes glazed. Every time I read this passage this week, I just kind of drifted off by the third verse. And I'm sure you had this experience when you were in school where you'd read, you know, read something and you'd read a page and you think, I have no idea what this was about. I'm going to read the page again. And, you, and, you, and you're really going to concentrate, and you, you still drift off. And you think, okay, I'm going to shut the door. I'm going to shut out all sound. I'm going to do this. And you drift off even more. You don't know what they're saying. Finally, you just underline a sentence and think, well, I'm just going to get something out of this. I don't even know if it's important, but I can underline this sentence and say I got something out of it. It's kind of like a rummage sale. You know, there's lots of stuff, and you find one thing that you want. And that's what John is to me. The line I underlined is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's what stuck in my mind. The rest of the stuff was kind of yada, yada, yada. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the way. What is the Jesus way? Earlier in the gospel, Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat 
falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. The Jesus way is death leads to life. Unless it dies, it will not bear great fruit. Death leads to life. Now, Jesus is well acquainted with pain. He's well acquainted with suffering. I attended an opioid conference uh, that the Wexner Center and the medical school put on a couple of weeks ago. And one of the speakers said, in the United States, we must acknowledge that pain is a fact of life. We cannot avoid pain. Jesus understood that. Jesus Death leads to life. He says it in a variety of ways. Unless you lose your life, you will not gain it. But those who lose their life will gain their life. He says it point blank when he talks about his death. I will be arrested, crucified, and died, but I will come to life. His miracles, his teachings are all about death leading to life. You know, a person finds a pearl of great wealth, and they sell all that they have, they die to their possessions, in order to buy that pearl, life. A person finds treasure buried in a field. They sell all that they have to buy the field to have that treasure. Death leads to life. Jesus' dealing so often was with people who were dead or figuratively dead. People who were considered on the margins. You know, the prostitutes. The tax collectors. The demon-possessed. The addicted. All of those were dead, and he brought them to life. Now, the Jesus way of death leading to life is very different than really what the world is, because the world is life leads to death. That's what we think. Life leads to death. That's why we resist change so much. That's why we resist um, changing our business, changing things in churches, changing things in our faith, because it just ends in death, and we've got to hold on. It might not be great, but we've got to hold on to it, because life leads to death, and that's it. But the Jesus way is about new life. It's about transformation. Lives can change. Lives can develop. There can be growth. I mean, this is AA, isn't it? Death leads to life. It's the Jesus way. It's hopeful. Then Jesus says, I am the truth. If you see me, 
you see the Father. So when we see Jesus doing something, we're seeing God do it. So when Jesus forgives the woman taken in adultery, that's God forgiving that woman. When we see Jesus accepting the Syrophoenician woman, the marginalized woman, that's God accepting her. When we see Jesus feeding the hungry, that's God doing that. When you see me, you've seen the Father. We call that incarnation. God in the flesh, the spirit in the flesh, or the flesh inspirited. God isn't confined to Jesus, but God is de defined by Jesus. And the early church went so far as to say, it isn't just God's spirit in Jesus. God's spirit can be in you and me and other people. And because of that, they're sacred. And we are sacred. And the church goes even farther than that and says that God's spirit can be through all of creation. And all of creation becomes sacred. Not throwaway, but sacred. And that's hopeful too, isn't it? And then Jesus says, I am the life. I'm present. You're not alone. You're not orphaned. You're not abandoned. I mentioned that opioid conference I went to. I often hesitate to go to conferences like that because very quickly they talk about stuff I don't understand. They get into medical things or legal things that I just don't understand. I went because uh, J.D. Vance was the um, keynote speaker, the, the person who wrote um, Hillbilly Elegy that some of you have read. And uh, gosh, he was in Middletown when we lived in Middletown, and I thought, maybe I can corner him after the lecture and we can talk about Middletown, um, which we did. It was kind of neat. Um, but in his talk, where he talked about the sociology of opioid addiction, he said, you know, when you talk about treatment, you have to include religion. I thought, wow, I am not used to people talking about religion positively. I'm not used to hearing it as a solution. And then the first speaker that got up and he said, we need to see the opioid addiction not just as medical, but as spiritual. For the issue is neglect and abandonment and feeling worthless and feeling unloved, and those are spiritual issues. I was amazed. And then the next speaker from West Virginia got up and said, we must include in treatment love and belonging and connectedness 
and community. And all of these speakers were saying that these spiritual concepts are what life and full life is about. And Jesus is saying, in my Father's house are many rooms. In my Father's heart, there is room for you. You belong. You're not neglected. You're not abandoned. There's life, for I am with you. And where I am, there you will be. Your home isn't a physical home. It's where I'm present. And you will feel at home in my community. When my sister and I were little, um, our families, our family was friends with a, a family from Louisville. They had children about our ages. They had a boy and a girl. They had a maternal grandmother that they took everywhere, just like we did. And we would get together for a picnic one Sunday every summer. I loved that picnic because we didn't have to go to church that day. Um, <laughs> because we would drive to southern Indiana for a, a, a picnic in a state park. In those days, you know, cars were not air-conditioned. Radio reception was terrible. Um, you had that hump in the back seat. Some of you remember the hump in the back seat. Mom and Dad sat in the front. Uh, my, our grandmother sat in the middle, and my sister and I flanked her, usually falling asleep on her lap in an unair conditioned car. Poor woman always had a wrinkled dress. Um, eventually, my sister and I would throw up and she'd have to deal with that. <laughs> so, we were um, driving home from our picnic. And, you know, this it was getting late in the afternoon. And now my dad was a person um, who never got lost. But when he would get lost, he would just say, we're taking the scenic route. <laughs> and we were taking the scenic route through southern Indiana. And, uh, you know, the road became a township road and then became a dirt road and then became a rutted dirt road. And um, we drove by a farmhouse the second time. And we realized we were lost. At which point, my mother said, Clarence, we're lost. You have to ask for directions. <laughs> now, none of us had read any of Flannery O'Connor's short stories. Um, but had we, we would have known that we would be killed in the next half hour. <laughs> um, so at any rate, there was a farmer in the field. And uh, the farmer saw us, and Dad motioned. And the farmer came to us, and he gave us directions to the road. And, you know, we turn left, turn right, go this way. And, and so we followed his directions, and within about 20 minutes, we were back at his farmhouse. <laughs> um, at which point, um, he, I took pity on us. Maybe the car stank so much. Um, he took pity on us, and he said, 
why don't I just get in your car and I'll take you to the road? Which he did. And it was a blessing. And um, he, he offered himself to us, basically. He offered his time to us. He gave up his schedule for our sake um, so we could get home. That's how I understand that line, no one comes to the Father but by me. It's Jesus offering himself as a blessing so that we can get home. He gets in our life so we can get home. And he's not excluding anyone. He's already ex included everyone because he's the way and the truth. Now, I thought about this sermon and what I wanted Clementine to sleep through. And she's walked out on me. <laughs> but I thought, what would I want Clementine to know about the faith that she was baptized into? And I want her to know that Jesus is the way because it's hopeful and it's transformative. And I want her to know that Jesus is the truth. I want her to know that life is sacred and she is sacred. And I want her to know that Jesus is the life, that there's room in God's heart for her. And I want her to know that Jesus wants to bless her life so she can be at home. May it be so for all of us. Amen.